You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are listening to myself, Tukir, and we have with us Imam Nabil Bhatti here with us in the Voice of Islam studios. And uh, yeah, we have a packed show for for our listeners today. Um, as everyone knows, the agenda of the show, the first half an hour to twenty minutes of the show, we go through some of the main news which is happening um, around the world. And uh, apart from that, then we will be going into our two main segments. Uh, we'll be listening. We'll be looking at um, Turkey condemns the burning of the Holy Quran during far right protest in Sweden. That was a a uh, big issue that was happening over there so uh, you know this is something we'll be looking more into um and uh, we will we we do have some uh, experts who you know will be uh, coming on the show and they'll be speaking on this uh for example we'll be listening to Mark Arira um he'll be coming on uh, we'll also be listening to Imam Kashif Burk who is a who is an imam of the Amdiya Muslim community and he is currently serving in Sweden uh, will also be listening to professor Bill Boring um, so that is for the first segment um, and then after that we'll be going into the second segment we will be looking at uh, we'll be looking at the promised has uh, a muslim all day um, so the promised reformer uh, and this is something which we will elaborate uh further um you know into the segment and uh, in this segment we will also be listening to the vice president of the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association uh respected Lukman Bajwa so we'll be listening to him so yeah that's that's the that's the uh, that's the show for all, for our listeners for today but if any of our listeners do want to get in touch uh, they have any anything to say uh, they can do so by calling us on 0208 6877878 or you can tweet to us at voice of islam uk or to listen to any of the shows um, we have the breakfast shows 7am to 9 9am um, on weekdays we also have the drive time uh, 4pm to 6pm uh, you can tune into that um, So yeah we will we'll start off uh, this segment with the with the weather. So today the uh, weather is uh, the, this from BBC weather. Um today will be cloudy, breezy and mildier in the north with spells of rain staying dry in the southeast with the uh, spring spells by the southwest. Uh, will be cloudier with some light rain in Wales. And the forecast for tonight uh, tonight will continue uh cloudy breezy and mild in northern areas and there will be some patchy rain in in spots uh southern areas will be a mix of cloud and clear spells but turning cloudier towards dawn so that's just the weather forecast do keep yourself um warm uh, you know when you are going out there's still a bit of a chill um you know especially coming in uh, this morning to the studio so do take care of yourself um and now moving to some of the news with regards to the amdiya muslim community um as as you know especially on friday mornings we cover some of the news with uh, with regards to the virtual meetings his holiness has uh, with members of the community around the world 
and uh, one such uh, virtual meeting which had taken place was uh, was with the Waqfina no children um, from the UK. They were blessed with the opportunity to meet His Holiness Azad Mirza Masoor Ahmed, um, the head board head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, may Allah be his helper, in a virtual uh, meeting which was held on the 5th of February 2023. And just for our listeners that don't know what the Waqfina scheme is, so this scheme was initiated by the fourth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Azim Azatahir Ahmed, in 1987. And the whole purpose of um, of this scheme was that parents, they dedicate their, their children, their unborn children, um, for the community. So when these children, when they grow up and, uh, you know, they they have excelled in their various professions, if they've become missionaries, if they've become journalists, if they've become doctors, you know, after that, they then dedicate themselves uh, within the community, give time. Um, and, uh, you know, we have such examples of uh, certain individuals, you know, that have, um, you know, completed the education and they've done really well. And now they're, they're by the grace of Allah the Almighty, they're serving within the community. So that's just a brief on that. Um, so the the children they were assembled uh, in the Tahirol at this at the Bethel Fatu complex in Morden, Surrey, and uh, the virtual meeting. Um, His Holiness conveyed his salam, his greetings, and on seeing uh, the children, His Holiness said that it seems like you have arranged a a jalsa, an annual convention, and uh, then. You know, some of the children, they had the opportunity to ask His Holiness some questions. And <clears throat> this is something that we wanted to share with our listeners today. And <clears throat> one such uh, <clears throat> one such question which was asked uh, was by Mia Labid Ahmed from Southall. And he asked His Holiness for advice um, on how uh the Wakfinano boys or girls they could engage in the bleak in propagating the message of Islam. And His Holiness he said that he emphasized several times in various classes and meetings that a Wakfino boy or girl should lead by example and they should they should take care of their salat and interact with fellow students in a friendly and non argumentative manner and focus on their studies and listen to their teachers and by exhibiting moral good morals and speaking positively uh, his holiness said that people will naturally ask about their identity and when people see that your morals and your ethics are good and you say good things they will ask you who you are and then you can tell them that you are an ahmadi muslim uh, which will provide a chance uh, to do the bleak, to propagate the message of Islam and explain that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he prophesied the arrival of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, to revive the teachings of Islam at a time when Muslims uh, were to have forgotten its principle. So a very beautiful answer His Holiness has given that uh, the best form of uh, of propagating the message, the true message of Islam is firstly by your own moral conduct. And you know, when people are moved by that, they will naturally approach you themselves. So this is great advice that His Holiness 
as given and you can uh, you can read more on this uh, by going on to alhakam.org uh, um, and you can also go on the YouTube channel on MTN News um, and you can catch more of these virtual uh, meetings with His Holiness. Um, so, Imam uh, Nabil, how are you doing this morning? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, I'm well. Um, you know, very frosty and freezy this morning. Yeah. I had to drive a bit carefully, very icy on the roads. But Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, it's going well. And you're, you're serving in the MTA Africa uh, department. Um, and MTA, uh, which stands for um the Muslim television so but you are dealing with this uh with all those listeners um that tune in from Africa so yes so basically um currently I'm working under the programming department um empty um, Africa the actual central office is located in Betafutu complex um empty international as a whole has over eight channels on sky so we only cover around two of those channels. So that'd be MTA Africa 4 and 5. Um, so basically the role that um, His Holiness has given to MTA Africa Studios, MTA Africa office, is to ideally establish studios <coughs> in West and East Africa and uh, produce content for the African viewers mm. via procuring the skills of various individuals um, from Africa. We hire them, we test them, we train them. And to the extent that the level of professionalism is established in the studios. Um, so essentially, where I'm working, programming department, ideally we handle all the programs that are given on a quarterly target to those studios. We currently have over seven studios in Africa, by the grace of Allah, under the guidance and instructions of His Holiness. Um, so once those programs have been given in, right, we test them, we check them, etc. And we give our instructions and guidelines to the various studios, um, including the programming department. We also handle all the studios from here. So ideally, financially, um, we, we, we handle the studios and ideally we, you know, the, the main purpose of one of the purpose that His Holiness instructed us is to be able to go and procure contracts with external channels where we can broadcast our programs and, you know, um, the Friday sermon of His Holiness and try to give them, push, push, um, you know, the, the, the views of the MD Muslim community in Africa, right? Um, and one of the reasons being um, MTA is a huge, huge factor in that, that, uh, that partakes as well. So, yeah, by the grace of Allah, um, yeah, I was um, um, posted in this department around four years ago. And Alhamdulillah, we have, you know, um, by the grace of Allah, we have progressed a lot more with the instructions of His Holiness. Fantastic. And all these seven studios, they're making their own prog- programs. Is is it live programs? or it, it, It's live programs and it's um, ideally programs for um, the uh, MT Africa 4 and 5 channels, which are on Sky. Um, you know, the requirements that we need um, for our African viewers um, it could be it could be live programs situated um, ideally for whatever's happening around that time. Um, like like we mentioned our second segment today, which is the Promise Reformer. So there are a couple of various students that will be doing live programs on that day, um, explaining um, you know such a huge huge prophecy um, that the Promised Messiah had regarding um, his son and also the second Caliph of our um, of the MD Muslim community, community as a Mizah, Peshwadi Imam 
So ideally, um, programs situated, for example, in Tanzania, we have a studio where they speak Swahili, so they won't be just producing. Um, ideally, they only produce programs in Swahili for Swahili viewers. So every country has its own demands and needs, um, which, um, you know, um, according to that, they will produce their programs. So within each country, will they have their own channel or is it just one channel? that? So will be? Um, ideally, um, what's happening right now and um, has already been established is, for example, Ghana is such a huge country in its place. Um, they have various contracts with external channels um, where they, in, in, in terms of content that we produce, we offer them training. So, for example, if they need some certain amount of training hours from us, so in the contract will include, look, give us like uh, an hour, two hour time on your broadcast pr- to push our content. For example, um, the speeches of His Holiness um, through his whole tours, etc. in Washington, D.C. Um, and then we'll provide you a certain amount of training to your staff. Um, in this way, we have um, various external channels. You can say in the Gambia, Ghana has its own TV channel in the Ghana, by the grace of Allah, with the instructions of His Holiness, um, which runs 24 seven um that's solely for ghana views only um where we can we push all our content onto there and plus they have a channel with um the ghana broadcasting station um where they get they get certain amount of hours during the week where they can you know where we can push our content onto them as well so it varies depending on the contract um this ghana gambia and you know there's many more studios coming up in the next two three years um with this um holiness instructions and uh, like we have our annual convention every year, we have, um, you know, we, 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 we get the external channels involved as well, where they give us maybe 18, 20 hours for those three days, um, where we can push our Hazul's, um, um, His Holiness, um, you know, speeches and our scholar speeches that happen due to the annual convention <coughs> of them, the Muslim community. So it depends, um, you know, but with this Holiness instruction, it's going very, um, the progress has been very excellent so far. That's very good. That's very good. Uh, it's good. Good to hear that. Um, now, uh, other news uh, um, with regards to what's happening around the world. Uh, just more of an update on the earthquake, uh, the Turkey-Syria earthquake. Um, the figures show that more than 21 people um, are now known to have died in Monday's earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And though the UN warns the disaster's full extent is still unclear, so rescuers are still searching, um, searching rubble for survivors. But hopes for hopes are fading more than four days since the first quake, and tens of thousands of people have sent a freezing fourth night in makeshift shelters after losing their homes. And Turkey's president called the earthquake the disaster of the century and a major international relief effort is gathering p- pace. And on Thursday, the the World Bank pledged £1.38 um, th- in aid to Turkey, including immediate finance for rebuilding basic infrastructure and to support those affected by the qu- earthquakes. And another donation came from the US, which pledged... Um, a package of $85 million to both countries. And meanwhile, the efforts of 100,000 or more rescue personnel on the ground are being hammered by the logistical hurdles, including vehicle shortages and devastated roads. 
the UN chief, um, Antonio, uh, he warned that the full extent of the catastrophe was still unfolding before our eyes, and especially in Syria, um, where a long-running civil war was de- was de- has devastated the country. So uh, our our prayers and uh, you know our condolences to the people of Turkey and Syria. It's um, very tragic uh, that you know this taken place, and uh, especially uh, with regards to a lot of the lives which have lost and a lot of the a lot of the people you know that were trapped under the under the rubble. May Allah the Almighty protect. Uh, them all and uh, you know may Allah uh, you know uh, help us in this particular need and time um, so an- another news uh, with regards to to the earthquake um, there's an article from Al-Hakam and it's an opinion um, and uh, so this the, the headline reads that Ch- Charlie Hebdo it sparks global outrage after mocking the Turkey Syria earthquake victims um and just just a brief into this um the the writer he writes that uh, he he says that he opened bbc website to check the latest figures and saw that the figures had risen to 17 uh, 17000 and a few uh, hours later he said that i decided to check the website again and i was shocked to find out that in less than two hours the death toll had reached uh, more than uh, 20,000. And, and he goes, what's worse is that this number is expected to increase and who knows what the death toll will be when you, when you read this. And many more survivors are stuck without food, water, electricity, and not to speak of the economic loss both countries will incur. And this is undeniably an enormous tragedy that has affected millions of people and uh, it is uh, hard to imagine what people must be going through at this time and heart-wrenching social media posts of people stuck in the rubble and are spreading all across platforms and other posts show immense joy of people along with cheers of Allah Akbar as a child is miraculously taken out of a building that fell. And he further writes that it has been heartwarming to see countries and the world send immediate aid to the affected areas. But very recently, the the ever so controversial Charlie Hebdo magazine decided that all the people involved in this international tragedy hadn't experienced enough pain. And they put out their drawings of the day, which featured the ruins of the earthquake with the caption, um, need to send tanks. Um, and there has been near universal condemnation of the drawing and many people have expressed their disgust at the gross misuse of free speech. Um, of course, Charlie Hebdo has a history of mocking the pain and suffering of others with little regards for the consequences. The magazine published a cartoon in in September 2016 mocking the victims of the um, 6.2 magnitude earthquake that hit Italy at the time. And then when people criticized it, the magazine shared another cartoon demonizing their critics. Um, so while the actions of the magazine are indefensible, it is a classic example of what happens when the line of free speech are blurred. And for years, this magazine has been mocking the holiest personages of various religious religions, including the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. 
but it seems the magazine lacks what little humanity it takes to go out of one's way to hurt others. Um, and, and quite rightly said, I think even when it comes to you know free speech, there should be boundaries. Um, you know, the, the Islam itself says that we we should uh, we should help one another, and we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't abuse each other's prophets or each other's deities. And Quran clearly says that if you do that, then the effect would be that they will also hurl abuse towards you. So, um, you know, there's something I wanted to mention that when it does come to free speech, you know, the, we should be mindful and we should not hurt the sentiments of one another. And the 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 world head of the Muslim community, the Azam Islam Surah he has always been at the forefront of uh, denouncing such incentives and unjustifiable use of absolute free speech and keeping in, in line with the true teachings of Islam instead of asking his followers or Muslim community at large to rage against the magazine and to take to the streets. He urged them to pray for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and to respond by educating the public about the reality of the unshackled free speech. And on this, His Holiness said that, and I quote, that you apparently champion democracy and freedom of expression. But playing with the sentiments of others, this is neither democracy nor freedom of expression. And everything has a limit and some code of conduct. And His Holiness said that just as there are codes of conduct in all professions, there is also a code of conduct in journalism. And just as no no matter what kind of government there is, it has its rules and regulations and freedom of expression certainly does not mean that sentiments are tri- trifled with or caused to be hurt. And if this is the freedom that the West is proud of, then this freedom does not lead to advancement, rather it leads to decline. So a very powerful quote there from His Holiness. Um, and, uh, you know, just before we do uh, close this news hour as well, uh, Nabil, is there, is there any, uh, any other news that you wanted to, wanted to share with, with the listeners? Um, I think that's covered for this morning. Um, yeah, just condolences to all those lives that were lost during the two quakes in Turkey and Syria. Um, yeah, may Allah help them out in the time of distress and need. Amen. Yeah, so uh, we're just going to be going into a short break, and after the short break, we'll be coming back into the new in, into our main segment, and we looking at um, how can, Turkey condemns the burning of the Holy Quran during the far right protest in Sweden. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The purpose of the Voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform 
and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. Writings of the Promised Messiah then arise and repent and win the pleasure of God through good works. Remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death. Being a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim will be determined on the day of judgment. But a person who goes beyond the limit in wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience and vice is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure, and before the dreadful day arrives, namely the day of intensity, of the plague of which the prophets have warned, make your peace with God. He is very benevolent to the one moment of the repentance that melts the heart. He can forgive the sins spread over seventy years. Do not say the repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow thy grace upon all of us. We are thy servants and have fallen down upon thy threshold. Amen. The purpose of the voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, Sin, which indeed is a poison, is born when a man is wanting in obedience to God and is empty of his love and his affectionate remembrance. The fate of a man whose heart has become cold to the love of God is like that of an uprooted tree, no longer capable of drawing the sap of life from the soil. As such, a tree gradually withers and dies. So like the dryness of the tree, sin overwhelms the heart. The remedy for this state of dryness, according to the law of nature, is of three types. Number one, love. Number two, istighfar. 
that is, seeking forgiveness of Allah. It literally means a desire to bury or to cover, reminding one that as long as the root of the tree is buried in the soil, it can hope to bring forth green foliage. Number three, the third remedy is tawbah, which means to turn towards God in all humility, drawing the sap of life and to bring oneself closer to Him, to break loose with the help of righteous deeds from the enveloping cover of sinfulness. Tawbah cannot be achieved merely by word of mouth. In fact, tawbah can be perfected only with the help of righteous deeds. All acts of goodness are aimed at achieving perfection of tawbah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the Gracious, Most Wassalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tukir uh, Tanvir, and Imam Nabil uh, Nabil Bhatti. Um, and we're just going into our first segment now. But if any of our listeners do want to get in touch with us, they can call us on 0208687 So we're looking at uh, the topic. Um, that uh, Turkey condemns the burning of the Quran during the far-right uh, protest in Sweden. But uh, to get more on the gist of the story, um, Imam Nabil, if you can uh, please elaborate more on this. Yeah, so Turkey um, has condemned a demonstration involving the burning of the Qurans in Sweden. Further, inflammation tensions between the two countries amid Stockholm's NATO bid the protests in Stockholm, which took place under heavy police protection in front of Turkey's embassy, gathered about 100 people in a crowd of reporters. Um, this was reported by France Press. The Danish far-right politician Rasmus Paludin, who, is also, who also has a Swedish citizenship, was the person, actual person who burned the Holy Quran and staged the event. Um, prior to burning the Holy Quran, he gave an hour-long speech against Islam and immigration. Um, and then he said, um, the Holy Quran on fire in front of a gathering of people. But prior to um, this event, Turkey's foreign minister summoned the Sweden's ambassador over the permission granted to this protest. It was the second time in Sweden's uh, that the Sweden's ambassador to Turkey has been summoned this month after having had to answer for a 12th January stunt during which a Kurdish group hung an effigy of the Turkey's president um, in Stockholm. Um, prior to Paludin's event on Saturday 27th, Turkey's foreign minister um, called it a hate crime that could not have been characterized as a freedom of speech and asked Sweden not to allow this vile act to take place. The protest was also denounced by Ibrahim Kalin, chief advisor of Erdogan, um, the burning of the Holy Quran in Stockholm is a clear crime of hatred of humanity. This is what Kalen, the chief advisor, had tweeted, um, that they condemned this, allowing this action 
despite all of our warnings as encouraging hate crimes and Islamophobia, the attack on sacred values is not freedom, but modern barbarism. Sweden's government has sought to distance itself from the demonstration, with the foreign uh, foreign minister Tobias Bilstrom condemning it. Islamophobic provocations are appalling. Bilstrom also tweet. This is what he tweeted: Sweden has a far-reaching freedom of expression, but it does not imply that the Swedish government or himself support the opinions expressed. Great, thank you so much uh, for that, Imam Nabil Bhatti. We're just uh, waiting for our first expert, uh, but before we uh, do get him on, um, I did want to just uh, read his introduction. Um, So we're going to be uh, shortly listening to Mark Arira, and uh, just his introduction is that initially Mark will be working to strengthen the ENORB's strategic development on a part-time basis and uh, Mark has long experience of human rights, social justice and refugee issues and Mark is currently founder of the director of a UK based company um, UK based community interest uh, company called Civil Society Consulting CIC um, which supports the uh, development of civil society um, and faith-based organization. Uh, and my notes say that during the pandemic, Mark has led a team focused on supporting and strengthening faith-based civil society organization, enabling them to continue to provide their services to people in socially challenged, ethnic, ethically diverse communities. So without further ado, uh, I do believe we have him on with us. Uh, good morning and thank you for joining us this morning, Mark. Yeah, good morning to you. Good morning, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, um, to start off, for the benefit of our listeners, could you please tell us about ENORB, please, if you can elaborate on on this? Yes, well, um, I I work for two organisations. I think you were just talking about civil society consulting, which has been working across the UK uh, with faith-based organisations. But the European Network on Religion and Belief is is really focused on developing networks and understanding, particularly mutual understanding. Great, thank you so much for that. And, you know, we are currently discussing the recent Quran burning in Sweden, uh, which is a hateful act. And how have you been tackling issues such as Islamophobia and what types do you see? Hello, Mark. Are you there with us? Can you hear me? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, that's okay. What... So, I mean, we're, we're very concerned, as I'm sure your your listeners are, around the um, the anti-Muslim uh, racism and hatred that we see in parts of Europe, um, and it is a great concern to to us. We uh, work closely with uh, colleagues and organisations to bring uh, bring them together to have dialogue and discussion and collaboration. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you, you will have not heard of uh, Farid Hafez, who has been uh, compiling for several years now mm. um, the European uh, Islamophobia reports. And we've had, I think, three or yeah, three meetings with him, and we brought uh, other religious groups into those meetings to explore, 
you know, what's going on and where the pinch points are uh, around uh, anti-Muslim racism and, and how it should be tackled. <clears throat> and you'll see across mainland Europe, um, obviously the UK isn't party to that, uh, sadly, anymore. But on UK, uh, on mainland Europe, you know, they have plans uh, very much uh, focused on, on tackling Islamophobia. We, the European Commission has just appointed a anti-Islamophobia coordinator, actually, mm. um, two weeks ago. And uh, they are um, planning um, lots of work around action in, in you know, individual countries uh, across Europe. And I'll be in Sweden. In fact, I'll be in Sweden uh, next week because the Swedish uh, government has got the presidency of the European Union at the moment and is very focused in on how we tackle uh, racism and uh, religious hatreds of all kinds. You know, that's a key thing. We have to keep an eye on all of these, um, you know, discrimination against uh, religions that we see in, in parts of, of, of Europe. And obviously the Koran burning is, is just, you know, it's just a kind of racist, stupid, idiotic... Um, Act by a, a, a well-known troublemaker, I might add. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm sure you know about him. Um, you know, to sort of get media attention and and to you know defile people's you know faith in you know their their individual religion. So we absolutely condemn that. We've really got to kind of rally round um, condemning uh, those kind of idiotic so Mark, um, people. Nice to meet you. Here's Nabil here. Um, thank you for joining us on the breakfast show. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And following from that question, um, some of the right-wing sentiment is arguably coming from the notion that migrants are causing the problems in Europe. Is this the case? And what types of discrimination are you seeing with migration? And what's the best way to deal with this? Yeah, I think, I think look, you know, I, I've always come at this from a, a, um, a, a kind of long historical um, perspective. You know, we've had migration into Europe, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. You know, um, 30,000 years, people are coming from the, Ameri the African kind of Rift Valley. So we've had migration, um, you know, going on throughout Europe. That's the way that things, you know, people travel, people move, um, and that's really important. Um, and, you know, you look at the, our own country, um, that was uh, invaded, if you like, by the, the, the Scandinavians, you know, 1,200 years ago. So migration is always with us, and people are always moving around. Um, and it does get charged up in, by kind of a nefarious kind of element that we see in our um, society that, that kind of use it as a kind of xenophobic tool a racist tool to to you know uh, to get votes so i think we have to be very careful about um how we see all of that um playing out in in our uh, communities um and therefore you know we need to as a, as as what i was saying earlier in terms of co cooperation dialogue collaboration we need to explore these things in a kind of rounded way uh, and not see them as absolutely, you know, modern phenomena that's actually just going on right now. We've seen, uh, as I say, migration happen over a long period of time. Um, and we organise discussion groups around these issues uh, to do with migration. Um, you know, and that's something that we do quite regularly, actually, because obviously it's, it's, it's something that does worry people. Definitely, because definitely. People need to, people need to understand... What's, what's lying behind why people migrate? 
Yes, definitely. So following, um, like you're talking about your coordination and cooperation with people, um, another area of your work is climate justice. And often it is marginalised communities who experience the negative effect on of climate crisis. Could you tell us a little more about that and what you are doing currently? To yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, so I mean, yeah, we, we've, we've now in a period of, I, we think, unavoidable, unavoidable climate uh, migration, where people are having to flee parts of the world because they're simply becoming uninhabitable. Um, and then when you link that in uh, to religion and faith, a lot of the countries which are particularly facing or becoming uninhabitable because of climate change are, are countries that are Muslim majority countries. Um, and that 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 brings in that element to uh, non uh, sort of difficulty of understanding how we tackle that. And we believe, and we've got a meeting uh, on February the twenty-first. It's online um, with a famous writer who's just written a book called The Nomad Century. And she's saying that you know we are going to see large numbers of people having to move. Um, from, as I say, uninhabitable parts of the world because of climate change into the northern European uh, area. So how we manage that, how we come together collaboratively uh, to, to manage that is, is, is really, really important. Um, and, you know, it's also how we, in, the, in, in parts of Europe, how we deal with demographic, uh, demographic ageing Mm-hmm. So we have aging populations. We need people, you know, to come into our economies, younger people. So it can be a win-win. Yeah. So I think we need to really t- um, turn these things into a different kind of narrative, so mm-hmm. that people are people are not just seeing it as a negative thing and and being able to be wound up by you know the likes of um, Suella Braverman you know, the UK Home Secretary who talks about security issues or invasions and really quite nasty things about lots of people coming um, into our, into the UK, uh, certainly. So we need to really kind of change that narrative. And I think that's an important role that, you know, we can play at the European network. Yeah, OK, that's 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 pretty good. Um, other than, you know, you have, I know, I'm pretty sure you have a lot of events and initiatives um, this year. Um, could you tell us about um, what's up and coming right now? What, what we've got, well, we've got, we're having more discussions. We're just talking about the, the, the um, intersection, really, of, of, of migration, yes. climate, and religion, because they're all, as I say, you know, really connected. We're also looking uh, at, and uh, we're t- discussing this um, with a Hungarian uh, writer around the, the, what's going on in Hungary. Hungary has turned into, you know, quite an authoritarian uh, state. Um, and and actually very much has weaponized uh, anti-Muslim uh, racism um, in that country. And we're also um, having discussions with uh, Leah Ipe, who um, is Albanian. Uh, and in fact, we are doing a, a study trip to Albania in May because mm-hmm. uh, you will, you know, you'll pick up on the anti-Albanian uh, um, rhetoric that we've had from the government. Um, um, very much ar- around migrants from, from that part of the world. And we're working with religious leaders uh, there. Um, in, yeah, so in May. So we've got quite a full programme of work that we're doing, um, you know, and uh, we're also looking at the issues to do with anti-Hindu sentiment, 
which is something that's obviously kicked off in, uh, in parts of the UK as well. So we're looking at a range of religious hatreds, yeah, um, and how we tackle that. Um, we think that's really important that um, everybody is, is, is really focused about how we live together, how we value the, the faiths and religions and beliefs that everybody has, and that we live together as a, as a collective, cohesive society. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for that. Um, I actually had a question uh, with the, with regards to, you know, the burning of the of the of the Quran in Sweden mm-hmm. by this individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, majority of the people, they know that, you know, this is something which is wrong. But, you know, my question here is, why do you think uh, the media still highlights it? Because the, the, in, in actuality, the, the you know, some people, they don't know what Islam truly is and sometimes all of the information that they are getting is from the news. So if it's always negative, you know, maybe it does have an effect on the thinking of people. You know, so my question here is why do you think sometimes media fuels a lot of these uh why why does it give them that publicity um you know when they they shouldn't really be getting that? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's like going into a pub, isn't it, and listening to a drunk person, mm. do you know, raving yeah. in the corner. Um, and the media does have that tendency to do that, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen the book burning on, on, on the television, mm. you know, and it's basically just surrounded by police officers, you know. I mean, because, no, it's, 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 it's kind of like a madness, yeah, um, and, and to some extent, you know, you look, it's, it's kind of a, like a mental ill health, isn't it? Um, and being, you know, being a hateful person, being full of hate, must be really hard work, yeah, on a day-to-day basis. Um, but no, the media, the media can just kind of pick up on, on those sorts of stories, rather than the really great stories. You know, we've talked about the European Network and work I've done with my uh, civil society consulting here in the UK I mean that lots of people in communities from different faiths and backgrounds they they work together in their neighborhoods don't they they work together in their communities but that that, that isn't that everyday story of cooperation mm. and and, uh, and uh, understanding and appreciation of different people's faith is not what catches the media's attention you know it's the ravings of the, the sort of madman. Hmm. Um, and they're often men, aren't they, I'm afraid to say. Mm, okay. Lots of men of a certain age um, who feel that they can go round in this very provocative and very, you know, as the Turkish government said, you know, doing these kind of vile acts um, um, and, you know, despoiling people's, you know, religions. It's just, you know, completely unacceptable. And per- perhaps people would not be doing it if the media didn't, uh, you know, suddenly make it into a big story. Absolutely. And Mark, have you had any cases regarding employment issues in France uh, with the Ville, and how have you dealt with the, these types of issues? No, we, we, we haven't. I mean, there was, a, there was obviously an increased um, focus on uh, the, the, the French communities that were from a Muslim background around the elections recently, you know, with the presidential elections and the parliamentary. So we picked, I mean, there was lots of, uh, you know, and we, we've, you know, we've touched on this a little bit. It's about the, the kind of weaponization of anti-Muslim racism in politics, yeah, more generally, to get to garner votes. 
Um, so we did, you know, we, we saw a, a real uptick in, in, in that happening in France uh, in recent times. I think that's kind of, of, of gone away uh, a little bit at the moment. Uh, we're just about to work with um, our colleagues in France and Belgium on a, on, on a significant campaign called Stop Islamophobia 2030. So it's quite a, it's quite a campaign over several years. Um, because they, they they see this Islamophobia as, as really kind of permeating as say, politics, mm. the media, the narrative, more generally um, um, in that kind of that northern European kind of setting. So we're doing some work with them on, on that um, over the next few months and years, I guess. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Mark, for, for coming on to the show. Fantastic work that you are doing. Um, thank you once again for joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Um, I mean, we're just going to be uh, looking more into this uh, particular topic, um, and uh, uh, then we'll be going into the eight o'clock uh, news, and after that, we'll be uh, listening to Imam Kashif Wirk, who is a missionary currently serving in Sweden so we'll be getting his perspective first hand from Sweden so um, do stay tuned in for that um, now with with regards to you know as, as we mentioned other that you know Islam teaches that we should uh, respect one another um, and you know we, we should look after um, each other's respect each other's prophets or even the scriptures and, and the Holy Quran is a sacred scripture of the Islamic faith, which is believed to be entirely the revealed word of God and the unchanged since its revelation almost 1,500 years ago. And it is the ultimate guidebook for Muslims. So naturally, upon seeing this video, the sentiments of Muslims in Sweden and all over the world uh, would be hurt. And... His Holiness, he stated that the reason why this is happening is that they do not know the teachings of Islam and the Holy Quran. And moreover, due to the actions of some terrorists amongst the Muslims, these people get the impression that uh, such things might actually be written in the Holy Quran. And they try to grab um, onto one, one, one verse which allows the believers to fight in wars. Yet they completely overlook the rest of the verses which explain the circumstances or context enabling this, uh, this permission. So these people should, should be made aware of these teachings and you, know, you should make your plans to promote, propagate the teachings in accordance with this. And His Holiness he further stated that the truth is that most people in Sweden and other Western countries remain unaware of the teachings of Islam. And this enables extremists to take individual verses of the Holy Quran completely out of context for the sake of their false propaganda. And people who conduct such hateful acts have no knowledge of Islam or what the actual condition laid down in the Holy Quran are of jihad. And they ignore the fact that the Bible has made many, many more verses that can be taken out of context and used to justify the use of force. And regardless, it is the duty of Ahmadi Muslim to introduce and exemplify the true teachings of Islam. And in each and every city 
and town so that people understand the reality of religion. Um, so this is what Holiness uh, said on this particular issue, and and I think it's really important, um, especially uh, nowadays. Uh, you know, um, I don't know about you, Imam Nabil, but uh, certainly you know I've had a chance to <clears throat> maybe just go out to the public to <clears throat> you know propagate the teachings of Islam and <clears throat> you know just get a view of uh, what people really think and. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, um, I think <clears throat> it is our duty um, as Muslims that, you know, we should propagate the true teachings of Islam. Uh, because in a, in a world where we live, you know, as Mark mentioned that, <clears throat> you know, the, the media looks for these things and, you know, they, they just add fuel to the fire. So it's very important that uh, we let people know about uh, the beautiful teachings of Islam, you know, what what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught. Um because you know one one particular feedback uh, you'll see from a lot of people is that they absorb only what they get in media it's just one sided and it doesn't paint the full picture definitely, definitely. it it doesn't let them know okay you know this is what islam really is so yeah. uh i think it, it more than ever it becomes our duty that you know we should enlighten people and we should let them know that you know what Islam is 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 it is, it is a teaching of peace and uh, you know it's it's a beautiful religion um, and uh, a religion that solely focuses uh, that you know you should as you know the promised Messiah peace be upon him the founder of the Amdi Muslim community he laid two main principles of Islam and two two main principles of the Sharia and he explained that first is that you should give due rise towards God Almighty Hakukullah. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, remembering God Almighty five times a day uh, and constantly, you know, just remembering uh, God Almighty, you know, not just in your daily prayers, but throughout, you know, before we do anything, Muslims, we, you know, before picking up something or starting to eat, we would say Bismillah, in the name of Allah. So constantly, you know, we're remembering Allah Ta'ala. And then the second aspect, as explained by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, is that we should give due rights towards the creation. You know, we should look after one another. We should help our brothers and sisters. Um, you know, if if, if uh, someone is vulnerable, if someone is in need of food, you know, Islam lays great principle in looking after uh, you, you know your your brothers and sisters. In fact, there, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, where he says that if you were to cook the dish broth, uh, if you were to if you were to cook it, add extra water into it, um, just so you know you could make more of the dish and you could give some of that food to your neighbor. So this is what Islam emphasizes that you know we should look after one another. And we should try to build bridges with one another rather than rather than breaking yes, breaking. Yes, them. I totally agree with you there. Um, one of the reasons why I want to get back to is uh, you were talking about false information given to the public. Um, the best way that the MDM Muslim community has established is through having opening days in mosques. Um, I I do know that the Betafatu Mosque has regular annual opening days to the public and its neighbours, and the w- neighbours are well aware of the Emily Muslim community in the UK, um, where they have various questions to, um, you know, our missionaries who give tours during those um, uh, opening days. Um, and this is a perfect way which um, His Holiness has instructed to us that 
The mosques are not only a place of worship, but it's also a place for those who seek the truth regarding Islam, regarding Ahmadiyyat. And this is your duty for them, for those who are seeking the truth, is your duty to provide it. And mosque is one of the only one of the main factors where anyone can come with any questions in mind, any guidance that they need, and the doors are always open to them. Um, I know as a fact that we have daily people, regularly people coming to the mosque just to, you know, help out and seek guidance. So we're just going to do the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined uh, by myself and Imam Nabil here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And uh, we're discussing the topic on Turkey condemns the burning of the Holy Quran during the far-right protest in Sweden. Uh, we, we were having a really good discussion, uh, Nabil, you and me, um, and we were discussing that, you know, it's really important that we have dialogue. It's really important that, you know, we as Muslims, that we do go out um, and we let people know that, you know, this is the true teachings of Islam. In fact, you'd be surprised that some people, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, I've, I've come across certain individuals that have said that they did not think that uh, coming to a mosque, uh, they were allowed to come in. They thought that it's only a Muslim who can enter a mosque. Um, so, but you know, you'll you'll find a very beautiful narration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him when the people of uh, Najran, uh, the Christian people, they came to meet the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, and uh, they became very agitated to know, uh, as, as you know, it was their time for prayer. And when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, inquired, they told the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that it is their time for prayer. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, very graciously, then gave his own mosque. And he said, go go pray in there. So from this incident, we find that, you know, it's uh, everyone in the, to the mosque is welcome uh, and to perform their worship. So that is why it's really important that uh, we as Muslims, that, you know, we, we go out and uh, we let we enlighten people on the true teachings of Islam. Now we do have with us Imam Kashif Virk all the way from Sweden. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Assalamu alaikum, thank you for welcoming me. Uh, Zakla, once again uh, for joining us uh, at the Voice of Islam radio station. It's always good to hear from you, uh, Imam Kashif. And another pressing uh, matter uh, in Sweden. Um, and and I wanted to ask you uh, firstly uh, that what was the reaction of the local citizens when the when this incident had taken place? So yes, it's a very sad incident of the Quran burning taking place in Sweden, which has shattered the image of Sweden globally, not even only the Muslim world. That how can a country allow these kind of provocations in the name of freedom of speech? So obviously. The local public, other than a few one who are very, very concerned about freedom of speech, but the rest of the population, Muslims or non-Muslims alike, very much condemn these kinds of actions. They do not support it. And even polls show that many people do not approve of these actions taking place, especially in this context when a foreign citizen comes to Sweden and abuses our freedoms uh, for his own personal, you know, ill will. 
an ill intent. So we do not, uh, the Swedish public in general does not support uh, these kind of action, although uh, the Swedish people are very, uh, very highly, they promote the freedom of speech and they are very much for this freedom, but they do not see that how it can be applied here. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And do you think that uh, this incident, when it has taken place, did, was it uh, was it very much publicized in the newspapers in in Sweden? Uh, yes, of course, because uh, there is uh, currently, as you know, Sweden wants to join NATO, and because of this, uh, we want to have a good relationship with Turkey. Uh, and uh, of course, when this happened, so Turkey said that we will not approve of your application mm. unless you ban these kind of actions so it was uh, quite a lot in the news yes. mm. and 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 do you think that in sweden um because obviously me and i was discussing with nabil that uh, you know a lot of the times when such incidents take place a lot of the general public you know that don't know about the uh, true teachings of islam if they're just getting information from one side uh it tends to have a negative effect because because they don't they don't know what the what the true teacher true teachings is or what does islam say it tends to have a you know bad a negative effect would you, would you agree with that yes of course it is our duty as muslims to convey if whenever i meet muslim leaders or or others i tell them that the reason this is happening is because we have not successfully been able to convey the teachings of islam Uh, to the Swedish public, uh, other than Islam, pure Islamophobia, of course, but still it is our duty that if we are able to convey this teaching, then many people will be on our side and say that you should not burn the scripture, you should revere the scripture. As uh, Muslims or uh, non-Muslims throughout the history have spoken very highly of Muslims and the Holy Quran and their examples. So even in this age, if we Muslims uh, practice the teachings of the Holy Quran, So we can obviously expect that people will respect the Holy Quran and know what is the, its teaching. It is our duty as Muslims. No one else should do it for us or can do it for us. Thank you for that. And if you can also explain what has the response been of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, in Sweden to this particular incident? Yes, as you know, this is not the first time it has happened. Mm. It has happened many times before and me and my colleagues have been traveling all around the country, having public gatherings, just as if the provocateur, we have taking permission from the police, I mean, standing and speaking to people uh, about our view and about the teachings of Ali Kram with the Ask a Muslim campaign, and uh, even in radio and TV, we have been uh, speaking to people. And uh, now we are preparing material so that uh, through brochures and other means we can convey the teaching of Islam. We will have Ali Kram exhibition. Uh, alongside other uh, Christians and Jews, so we are trying in different ways to convey our sentiments and uh, and our uh, the Islamic teaching to the Swedish public. And we are have increased our effort uh, during the last uh, years or so from when this happened. Great, fantastic work! Uh, the Amdi Muslim community in Sweden is doing. Um, also, uh, Imam, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, how can we help promote the peaceful teachings of Islam, even someone, you know, who's not an imam, who's just an ordinary uh, person and, you know, he wants to uh, 
promote the teachings of Islam, how how can they do it? Yeah. Okay. Basically, the Holy Quran says convey uh, both through deed and action and word the teachings of the Quran. Uh, so first of all, we should be ourselves uh, learn the teaching of the Holy Quran by reciting it and by pondering over its meaning and applying it to our lives, and we will see. The Prophet Muhammad says the Holy Quran can change a person within a week if you follow it. So if we start following the Quran, so we will be a practical role model for its teaching. Uh, and I think that is the best way. And the Holy Quran is indeed a very easy scripture. God says that I made it easy to learn, to memorize, and also to follow. So we should <laughs> actually follow it, and then we can expect that people will be, will be able to Ask that, okay, where does your good morals come from? And you can say that this is the Holy Scripture. It taught me these things. Definitely, I agree to that as well. Definitely. Assalamualaikum, Imam Virsab. Assalamualaikum. How are you today? Alhamdulillah. 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 Just following up to that question about how we use the teachings of Islam to promote the peaceful, um, you know, acts of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his Holiness, what are the implications that you have seen in Sweden regarding this act of uh, the burning of the Holy Quran? One thing is that the Swedish uh, uh, particular view on freedom of expression is being challenged not only by, of course, Muslims, but also by their own uh, thinkers. Uh, the, the previous Prime Minister and Foreign Minister of Sweden, Carl Bill, said that this should not be allowed. Even others uh, jurists and the politicians have spoken and been vocal about it that we cannot uh, allow these abuses to happen in the name of freedom of speech. So the debate is shifting uh, and uh, we are seeing that uh, Sweden alongside, you know, because our neighboring countries, Finland and Norway, for, for example, would not permit this. Even Denmark, mm-hmm. from where this provocateur comes from, he is not allowed to do it there. So of course, the Swedish public very much follows its neighboring countries, and even in this matter, I'm seeing a shift in the view on external expression that is taking place right now. Yes, definitely. Um, following to that, um, you know, that you mentioned, what was what, what what do you think the reason was for the protesters to carry out such action? What could it be because of ill information regarding Islam, or could it be you know? They were misguided. Um, what 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 might have insinuated them to carry out such act? So it is only one man. It is a one-man show. This very fringe politician from Denmark he is not welcome anywhere. Mm-hmm. So because he has a Sweden citizenship, he he does come here at sometimes. Even though he has no, no following here, when he does these actions, he's all alone. And he has no other supporters other than the people, the one who is making the movie. I think he he broadcasts his life, but he's very alone. He's a lonely person. Mm-hmm. But still, I don't realize why media gives him so much attention. Uh, it is uh, actually quite astonishing. But yes, of course, there are these uh, right-wing extremists who who condone his acts and say that this is a well good job. But they would never dare stand with him and to do this with him. As I said, he's a very, uh, very lonely person when he does these things. So it is wrong to say that 
uh, people behind it. I think he's a very lonely person. Mm-hmm. But yes, he gets funding and moral support from some groups in Sweden. And um, uh, that is why he's doing it, perhaps, because they are supporting him. And some say that this is uh, international conspiracy, that people want to weaken uh, Sweden and uh, its relation with other countries. So he's involved in something bigger as well. Okay. Zakala for your time, uh, Imam Kashif Saheb. And uh, very grateful for you to give us your time to come on the breakfast show. Uh, may Allah bless your efforts in uh, Sweden. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu Great. Great. That was Imam uh, Kashif Wilk, uh, who joined us all the way from Sweden. Uh, it's great uh, getting his expertise on this uh, particular subject. And, you know, as we mentioned that uh, when we look in the Holy Quran and we study it, you know, Islam, it lays uh, a lot of uh, injunctions in how, you know, we should help the society and how we should help one another. For example, if we look at chapter 4, verse 37 of the Holy Quran, it states that, um, and worship Allah and associate not with him and show kindness to parents and to the kindred and to the orphans and the needy and to the neighbor who is a kinsman and the neighbor who is a stranger and the companion by your side and the wayfarer and those whom your right hand possesses. Surely Allah loves not the arrogant and boastful. Now, in this verse, the Holy Quran, it instructs Muslims to show kindness and compassion to a whole range of people. And it calls on them to serve their parents, family members and other relatives and also vulnerable members of the society. And it also places great emphasis on fulfilling the rights of one's neighbors. And neighbors are not just people who live in person's immediate vicinity. Rather, the scope of neighbors in Islam is extremely far-reaching and includes those who live near and as well as those who live at a distance. And it includes a person's colleagues, his travel companions and much more besides. And therefore, in essence, all of the people of this city are neighbors of this mosque. Thus, instead of destroying the peace of the society, true Muslims are built to foster between the people of different communities and belief. And also, in another place of the of the Holy Quran, in chapter 6, verse 109, it says that, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, and revile not whom they call upon besides Allah, lest out of spite, uh, revile Allah in their ignorance and in these in other words do not abuse the idols of the non-believers lest they abuse your God out of ignorance now consider that this is the Quranic teachings despite the fact that it treats idols as no of no significance and yet God teaches the Muslims to abstain from insulting even the idols and admonishes them that instead to adopt a course of gentle persuasion, less idolaters should be provoked, and in turn to abuse God, the Muslim world, then be responsible for such abuses. So a very beautiful verse of the Holy Quran, which says that, you know, we, we should not even abuse other idols. And reason being given behind it is that if you do that, then the the end result of that would be that you know they will start abusing you as well so so don't do it in the first place 
a very beautiful commandment within the Holy Quran. And I guess as we are discussing the scripture, the Holy Quran, it is the word itself, Quran, it is from, uh, the root word is Qara'a, which means to read. And the word Quran, it means it, sh- it is a book which should be read most often. And, you know, one should ponder upon this book. And truly, if, uh, you know, if you look at the Holy Quran, uh, there is a great prophecy uh, which has been given by Allah the Almighty. And this is in chapter 15, verse 10, um, where Allah the Almighty, He promises the believers that verily we have sent down the, this exhortation and most surely we will be its guardian. Now here, the word exhortation, a zikr, which is the Arabic word used here, here it is referring to the Holy Quran and it is the promise of Allah the Almighty that he will protect this scripture from any interpretations or you know that he will send down he will send down his saints like for example the promised Messiah peace be upon who has truly protected the scripture and you know has you know, if we look at some of the inter- interpretation of the Holy Quran that he has given and, you know, the the successes of the promised Messiah, you know, one will be astounded, one will be taken back um, at, at at it. And this is, the, this is the promise which God has given. And secondly, if we look at the text itself, uh, you know, there is no denying that uh, not even a jot of of the Holy Quran has been changed. It is the same Holy Quran which was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, which we have now. And another great quality of the Holy Quran is that the you know it is so easy to memorize. And you know, even let's say in a scenario where all of the God forbid were these Qurans the Holy Quran, the Holy Scripture was burned, you know to this day, you know, we have thousands and thousands of Hufas, people who have memorized the whole Quran from memory and they will be able to jot down the Holy Quran and this is this is the beauty of the Holy Quran that uh, you know, as, as Allah the Almighty has stated that He is the one who has sent down this Holy Book and He will then be its guardian and this is what we see that in terms of its actual text uh, God Almighty has protected it in every way and even in terms of the interpretation of the Holy Quran by sending down the promised Messiah, peace be upon him and through the successes of the Amdi Muslim community, you know, we see that uh, some of the interpretation of of the verses uh, all all of the interpretation is, you know, one will be so moved by reading reading it. Um, Imam Nabil any, anything else you wanted to add? I just want to mention the fact that um, at the time of the Holy Prophet وسلم, when the Qur'an was being revealed, as we know, once the Qur'an was completed, it was a tradition of the Arab people. Was Like you mentioned, the Muhafiz, there's a lot of people that memorized the Holy Qur'an. One way of memorizing the narrations and the actions of the Holy Prophet وسلم, was through Hadith. And they were literate people. They didn't have any form of noting it down, etc. So the way they used to memorize was by pure memory. They were recited, recited to the children. The Holy Quran was passed down through pure memory and spread throughout the whole world of Arabia. So that's, like you mentioned, it was it is one of the 
I, I would say prophesize ways which Allah the Almighty has given to the Muslim Ummah that even if we didn't have the physical book of the Holy Quran our memories will vouch safe forever till you know um, the day comes so oh. that's what I wanted to mention Absolutely, thank you so much for that. Uh, we're just going to be going into a short break um, and after that we'll be going into our second segment and we will be looking at the segment The Promised Reformer has a Muslim out there. So don't go anywhere, we'll be back shortly after this break. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Breakfast Show. You are joined uh, by myself, Tukir, and also Imam Nabil here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And we're discussing a very important topic now, and this is on uh, the promise reformer as a Muslim out day. Um, so Imam Nabil, um, if you can uh, elaborate on this and let us know uh, what this topic is about. So basically, um, it is a prophecy which uh, was given to the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Muslim community, uh, which was prophesied by Allah the Almighty. So just to give you a background to it, it was a day when the Promised Messiah, who we believed to be in the final fortress for seeking refuge, with against satanic forces, ideally his enemies at the time, he was divinely promised help. He was promised to a boy who would bring his mission to the ends of the earth, not stopping for anyone or anyone who came in his way. Azamijab Bishiru de Mahmud Ahmad, who is the second caliph of the Indian Muslim community, the Muslim Aud, served Islam in a magnificent ways throughout his life. He had so many initiatives that he carried out and on the 20th February, MDs around the world seek to remember his sacrifices and effectively reflect upon their responsibilities as servants of this cause. So that's just a short background to Muslim Day. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very 
it's it's something which is very important and uh, dear to all of us that we remember this day you know that uh, it's a great uh, fulfillment of the prophecy which was revealed to the promised messiah peace be upon him um and uh, we know from history that the promised messiah peace be upon him that he traveled to hoshiarpur and he prayed uh, for a sign from allah the almighty for 40 days and it was after these you know solitude prayers you know uh, the promised messiah it is narrated that the promised messiah peace be upon him he was very much secluded and you know that those whole 40 days was just was so to pray to allah the almighty that you know islam at that time needed a sign um and as islam was attacked from all four sides um so you know the promised messiah prayed that allah allah the almighty you know gives gives a sign for in support of islam in support of ahmadiyat and then it, you know it, it is said that it was on it was on uh, it was on the 20th of february that you know he he shared this prophecy uh, with with the world and he, and he said that god almighty has promised um that he will have a son and he gave he writes down 52 qualities that he would have 52 qualities and then this is something which we see in fulfillment in in uh, hazrat muslimaud now we do have with us uh, respected uh, lukman bajwa he is the vice president of the ahmadiyya muslim youth association assalam alaikum and thank you for joining us at the voice of islam radio station my pleasure to be on the show thank you now we you know we are talking about um yom muslim or muslim out day can and you know we we know that uh, the ahmadiyya muslim youth association this was something which was established by uh, the second caliph of the amdi muslim community so can you please tell us about the humble beginnings of the institution of the amdi muslim youth association um who formed it and when if you can please give us an insight into that yeah sure um so uh, it all started from actually from guidance from hazrat muslim al mirza b sultan where uh following his guidance that t- 10 young men uh, young men came together in a town called Gadiyan in India uh, they met together on the 31st of January 1938 um, and they um, elected a president they elected a secretary uh, and proposed to form a youth organization um, in which they vowed that they you know they're going to serve for the progress of the Jamaat community and be always be loyal to uh, Khalafat and protect it and and following guidance uh, given by Khalafat um they took this proposal uh, back uh, to Muslim Al and you know a few days later on the 4th of February 1938 he accepted this proposal and he gave this organization a name uh, the name he gave was Khodam Lamdia which literally means the servants of Amdia the servants of the Amdi community um and so it started from you know just from those 10 members uh then in the subsequent years you know he he played a very central role in guiding this organization and uh, what its mandate should be and he sort of extended the mandate 
um, uh, into what it is uh, today. So, you know, in 1940, for example, he extended the membership. So it's not just those 10 members. He extended this membership so that all male members of this community aged between 15 and 40 should, you know, automatically be part of this organization. Um, he formed a sort of junior uh, organization within this organization called Farambia for 7 to 15 year olds um, and really just that guidance in those early days is really uh, very much a shape and form of the organization that we see today you know some 85 years now that we have you know multiple national chapters in pretty much every country and every continent at the moment. Fantastic and also if you could explain um, uh, what are some of the objectives of the um, the Muslim Youth Association? Yes, so uh, the objective is uh, actually rather simple. You know, the objective of the org- uh, of, of this organisation is to train and empower its members with the teachings of Islam, and to try and put that into practice. Um, and you know, what in, what does this teaching of Islam mean? I think you sort of mentioned this earlier in your show, you know, the segment that you know that essentially Islam comes down to two parts. It's either as a Muslim, you're either serving God or serving its creation. And that's what this organization is about, is to empower its teachers members, is to empower them and put that into practice. So the first part is, you know, to practice uh, your religion, your faith. And the second part is to serve its God's creation, which means the community, but also the wider society and looking after uh, the rights and welfare of the wider society. So that's really the objective of this of this organization. Thank you for that. Um... And just one more question from my side, and then I'll pass the mic on to uh, my co-presenter here, uh, Imam Nabil. Um, I wanted to ask you, what vision did the second caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, have for the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association? If you can uh, shed some light on that. Wow. Um, Okay, how long do I have for this? Um, uh, I think it's one of those things you can dedicate, you know, entire show on this. But I, I guess, I guess in short, I, I think of it in sort of two parts. So on the micro level, you know, as the name, like I said, mentioned earlier, the name he gave this organisation was Khadam Lambia. Um, mm. You know, we translate it into English as the Amdia Muslim Youth Association because that's the descriptive meaning because it's, it's, it's referring to the youth members of the association. But the the, the 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 original title he gave was Khadam Lamdi, which means servants of Lamdi. And one of the things he also did, uh, I think this is he gave a pledge uh, that you know we should recite as members. I mean, this is, this is something we do even to this day. That you know, in all our meetings, activities, events, we recite these, this pledge that sort of affirms you know what the key principles of, of being part of this organisation is, and it's part of that pledge. Some things you know members do is they pledge to sacrifice their lives, wealth, time, and honor for the sake of one's faith, country, and nation. I think that's sort of on a micro level, on an individual level, that sort of sets the tone of what it means to be part of, of this organization. Is we're really we're servants to serve um, our faith, to serve the community, to serve the, the caliph, the present-day caliph, um, as well, and, and the wider community. I mean, I think when you sort of look at the broader picture, what the vision you want to do is, you know, in those early early years, you know, he gave a lot of guidance uh, and description of like how we should organise uh, ourselves, and um, you know, he wanted to create a body of people, servants who, you know, servants as it were, who, you know, who are going to sacrifice, um, you know, their time, uh, their wealth for the, for the sake of their creator the Khalifa, the Caliph, the community, the wider society. And you see that with some of the sort of departments he set up, you know, so some of these, he's, he's created, you know, 
from this guidance we've created so many different departments in the organization, the Department for Education, there's the Department for Health and Wellbeing, you know, there's a community outreach department, there's a hospitality department, you know, we're ordinary members like you and me, we learn how to cook and learn important life skills. So really from that, you know, on the macro level, you really get a sense that the vision is, you know, to create a sort of powerful body of able men um, who are going to become servants to serve God and his creation. Uh, but to do so from ordinary people, you know, ordinary people like you and me, you know, none, you know it's not that it's a case that you know, it's an exclusive group. It's, it is really to instill and empower uh, people so they you know, become motivated um, to join this powerful movement and with the desire to serve. Zakala for that. Um, it's uh, Nabil here. Um, you managed to explain it very well in a short amount of time. <laughs> so, um, the reformation of a nation cannot be achieved without the reformation of its youth. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you expand on this? What is the reformation of this association? What is the forefront? Um, yeah, so again, statement, you know, has sort of some very sort of levels of understanding. So initially when I hear the statement, it's almost, it, it is prophetic in its nature, you know, that the, so the first part of this statement is that the reformation of a nation, you know, it alludes to that, the ultimate goal of this organization is to impact and shape um, a nation, you know? Um, and, and then the second part is almost like a message to the members of this organization. Mm-hmm. That, that if you want to reform nations, then that can't be done without reforming yourselves first, the youth. So it's, it's a direct message to, to members like you and me to sort of say, you know, if we want to make that impact, if we want to do good in society, um, we need to reform ourselves. Uh, we need to reform ourselves from moral, spiritual point of view. We need to learn to be honest uh, people, act with integrity, always be truthful, um, look out for the rights of individuals um, and wider society and all groups of society and improve ourselves um, and so that we can make an impact in the wider society. You know, um, And it's not, it's not that it's... it's the we act to make an impact. You know, this organisation is not a political organisation. It's really mm-hmm. about you know, making a positive change in the community to be citizens, as it were, be good citizens, and, and you know have that outreach. So it's actually such a simple statement, but I think it's quite fun. I think it's something we can all relate to, especially you know today's society where we yeah we are looking at some of the struggles we're going through as a society. You know, um, you know, looking at you know. Um, Current situation, uh, the leveling up agenda we have at the moment, you know, in itself, the statement is almost like a diagnosis of the issue we have. That, you know, you know, if we want to make good for society, if we want nations to be successful, then you know, it, the diagnosis and the, pro- and, and, the, and, the, and the antidote to that is that you know we need to start with our youngsters and, and really look to empower them and reform them. Yes. That age. Yeah, definitely agree to that. So you were mentioning about the impact on society, and um, what activities are the MDA Muslim Youth Association engaged in? Is it only limited to the Muslim community or is it external events, etc. as well? Yeah, so it's both. So, uh, uh, firstly, it exists as a, almost like a support network for its own members. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's for its spiritual moral training, but also for the intellectual training and also physical and mental health well-being. You know, so recently we had a um, health and well-being awareness campaign. But that's like the first part. But the second part is the broader picture is that, you know, the members should serve the wider community. Mm. You know, I think earlier in your show you alluded to that verse in the Quran where it talks about all the various rights of people in society, that it's 
you know, looking after the rights of orphans, the vulnerable people in society, um, uh, the neighbours in society, and you'd find neighbours to effectively describe the community. And the way the description you gave neighbours is serve the community. So that's a Quranic injunction. So, you know, as part of that, you know, some of the activities we do is uh, we do charity fundraising where we raise um, hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, so last year we raised over 200,000 pounds for various charities on a local and national level, um, you know, trying to make an impact um, in local communities as well as on national level uh, through our voluntary, uh, voluntary efforts, uh, through our local community outreach programs. Um, some things we do is provide meals for the vulnerable people um, up and down the country in all, all sorts of cities and towns. One uh, blood drives, you know, recently over the winter campaign, um, we ha you know, we teamed up with one of our charity par partners, Mary Curie, where we delivered festive gift baskets to anyone we needed. You know, this is where members of the public could nominate someone they thought, um, anyone uh, that they felt would are deserving of a gift basket and our members, all the main people, people who go to school, university, work, whatever, were going out uh, visiting these people and delivering these gift baskets to them. Um, and, you know, the dynamic nature of this organisation is that, you know, whatever the need of the country is, we'll respond to it. So, you know, we're fortunate not to have floods uh, in this country this year, but whenever there's floods in any part of the country, we're there, we're there to support, you know, the local community to try and deal with that. You know, when things like Grenfell Fire happened, again, we were there working with the various um, organisations like British Red Cross trying to coordinate efforts. And during the COVID crisis, there was a national helpline that was set up with another charity partner of ours, Humanity First, where we were manning that uh, help and supporting that line and, you know, visiting ordinary members of the public who needed any help, whether it was they needed groceries or medicines delivered. Again, ordinary members would go out and they would deliver this. And, mm -hmm. you know, with the terrible uh, event that's happening in Turkey, again, we're joining efforts to try and do fundraising efforts and see how we can support the people out there as well. Perfect. Thank you for your insight regarding the vision that the uh, Promise Reformer had for the MD Muslim Youth Association. And thank you for your time on the breakfast show, Lukman Sob. That's been a pleasure. So, over to you, Thakir Sob. Yes, um, so very, very good interview by uh, uh, Lukman Baja, who is the Vice President of the MD Muslim Youth Association. Um, just wanted to look into uh, this prophecy itself um, you know if we if we look in the Holy Quran um, where it looks at chapter 62 verse 4 um, you know the, the verse reads uh, in, in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful and among others and among others from among them who have not yet joined them he is the mighty the wise now, it is well narrated that uh, when this particular verse, these, you know, not just this one, but even before that, when these verses were revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was sitting in a company uh, with companions. And when they heard of this, that, you know, there would be those blessed people who would come later on. And, you know, they, they will have the same qualities as the, the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The companions also became very surprised and, and they inquired from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that man haulai ya Rasulullah, that who would be these people? And it is narrated that this question was repeated to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, three times. And then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he put his hand 
on Hazrat Salman bin Farsi and and who was also a non-Arab at that time. And he said that even if faith were to go up to the Pleiades, the constellation of such stars, a man from among these would surely find find it. Now referring that uh, you know that it would the, these men will be from among the progeny of Hazrat Salman bin Farsi, and we know that he was a Persian, and so the promised Messiah peace be upon him he prophesied that uh, those people would come and they would be descendants of. Uh, Persian Persian descendants, and they will be descendants of Hazrat Salman bin Farsi, and they will bring faith back. And this refers to not only the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, but also his his progeny um, and those individuals that that would bring uh, faith back, bring Islam back. And this also refers to the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. That it would be those such individuals that at a time where Islam would be attacked from all four corners, it would be that community that would bring back bring back Islam. And when we analyze the life of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, who is now known as the fulfillment of this prophecy, while keeping this part of the prophecy in mind, we find that it is its meanings are extremely profound and it is a promise made by God Almighty that by his own hand he would tend to care for, educate and grant spiritual knowledge to the promised son granted to the promised Messiah peace be upon him and the fact that such a grand prophecy had been vouchsafed to the promised Messiah peace be upon him along with the fact that he had widely publicized it using it as a means to further establish his truthfulness and the eyes of both believers and opponents alike were focused upon Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed and from the moment he was born on the 12th of January 1889 they wanted to see what was so special about this child and what would make him different from any other child and the believers they wanted to strengthen their faith while the opponents desired that the promised Messiah his downfall and with this in mind one would expect that that promised Messiah peace be upon him would have special attention to this child's upbringing especially in regards to his studies ensuring that he would acquire scholarly <clears throat> qualities so that there would be no doubt in remaining as to the fulfillment of this prophecy however it is absolutely surprising that when we look towards the childhood <clears throat> of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed we find that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he did not take extraordinary measures in terms of his son's education. And aside from the traditional uh, education, for example, uh, a tutor a tutor, tutor, coming to home and teaching the education aside from the tradi- traditional education, for example, a tutor coming to home and teaching the simple recitation of the Holy Quran, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, did not take any drastic measures. Sir Muhammad Zafullah Khan Saab, who was a Pakistani politician, uh, international jurist, who was also known for his, particularly known for his representation of Pakistan at the UN, 
was also a very devout and the Muslim and a companion of the Prophet Messiah. He stated that Hazrat Mirza Bashir al Mahmud Ahmed, the second caliph, head of the Ahmadiyya movement at the time, occupies a unique position in the world of Islam. He is one of those personalities who appear on this earthly stage at long intervals and not only leave a deep impress upon his own generation and age, but gives a direction and purpose to human effort and endeavour which continues to regulate them for centuries. He further states he combines in his personal qualities which rarely find themselves in companionship. He is both a poet and a man of science. He is an idealist and a man of action. He literally sees visions and then works hard and unceasingly towards their fulfilment. He leads a life of contemplation and yet it is the most courageous leader in action. Nothing is too small for his attention and nothing too big for his achievement. He is the most affectionate of masters, the sincerest of friends, the most cheerful of companions and the wisest of counsellors. He occupies the highest spiritual office in Islam and leads a life of simple, almost entirely free of ostination. He bases his life on faith, lives it in truth, simplicity and sincerity and justifies it by courage, perseverance and achievement. Another place, Zafrullah Khan Saab, mentions that he possesses a very pleasingly personality and a very charming address. He is the very soul of courtesy and kindness and regards the exercise of true hospitality as a cardinal virtue. In his speeches as well as in his writings, he seeks to convince by persuasion, exposition, interpretation and argument rather than by authority. Thanks so much for that, Imam Nabil. We also have a clip um, for to share with our listeners, and this is on Hazrat Muslimaud's his visit to to London. So let's listen to that. So we're here now. We're just leaving Victoria Station. How is this station so significant in the journey of Hazrat Muslimaud? Hazrat Muslimaud Rizalatallahu had travelled by sea. Okay. And uh, he arrived at the seaport, and then from the seaport he took the train to London. And uh, the train arrived here in Victoria, yeah. uh, at the Victoria okay, station. Yeah. What is significant about it is that although the British press was aware and they had been publishing news that uh, the head of the MDA community is on his way and he'll be coming to London very soon. But when Hazur arrived here, something very strange, I would say, happened. As soon as Hazur got off the train uh, on the platform with all his companions, with the 12 companions that were accompanying him, uh, Azan was said. Takbir wow. was called and namaz was said on the platform. On the platform? On the platform. Wow, so that incredible. was a feast for uh, you know the sight yeah. of the people present there and the press and yeah. the, 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 that were gathered, the photographers yeah. that were there. The news uh, on the next day, all the newspapers had the story yeah. that you know 12 secretaries in, tab- in green turbans and wearing long coats, they've come yeah. from all the way from India, wow. brought the message of Islam yeah. and as soon as they've arrived here in London, they called their prayer and they offered their prayer right at the platform. That's amazing. So from that very moment on, the press did not let his Muslim out go anywhere yeah. where they weren't following him. Yeah. He came off the station and as you mentioned, everyone was wanting to know who this person is. What was so capsulating about him? Why were people so, you know, wanting to know who this person is? What we need to remember is that we're talking of Britain in 1924, not Britain as we know it today, oh, which has got so used to the cultural and religious yeah. diversity. 
And then it's an Indian Muslim leader who has brought the message of Islam to London in 1924. So we must remember, London was not always the way we know it today. So that was a uh, small clip um, from uh, called The Promised Son. Um, and, and you can listen more on that on uh, on the channel MTA, uh, where they have three episodes of this. Uh, they're very interesting as well. And more more insight of the uh, His Holiness, the second caliph's his visit to London. Now, we know that he visited London in 1924 and the main purpose of the second caliph's visit to the UK was also to attend the World Conference of Religions, uh, where leading members of different faiths were invited to address the meeting. And um, the second caliph, he left Qadian, um on the 12th of July with a party of 10 persons accompanying him. And this party sailed from Bombay. And the morning of 15th July, the ship reached uh, Aden eight days later, and the ship entered port Said on the evening and of the 28th and uh, the second caliph stayed in Cairo for three days and then he proceeded to Jerusalem and Damascus and uh, he arrived in London on the 22nd of August 1924 and uh, it is reported that of the visit uh, this was published in Review of Religions in October 1924 that, uh, and I quote, that the news of His Holiness's visit to London was published alongside with suitable notes in most of the important papers in London. And the first public lecture which His Holiness gave in England is the one uh, which His Holiness delivered in Portsmouth on the 13th of September. And uh, at uh, 4 p.m. Uh, on 19th October 1924, His Holiness, he laid the foundation stone of the London Mosque with uh, over 200 people of various nationalities and religious beliefs uh, present at the ceremony. So that's just a brief insight into that. And uh, with that, we'll close this uh, second segment. Uh, we wanted to take this time out and thank all our guests. We had with today Mark Herrera. Um, we also had Imam Kashif Virk. Uh, we also had uh, Lukman Bajwa. Um, so thank you to all of these, um, all of these guests that had joined. Um, and you know it was, it was wonderful listening to them. We also wanted to thank the producer Maliha Abdullah and her team of researchers, Sayda Hena Saud Neha and. Aman. So thank you all for a great show. Um, also wanted to thank uh, Brother Shafiq in the background from the tech team for all his hard work that he's put into the show. And we do hope that you've enjoyed the show today. Um, we certainly have. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time, inshallah. Uh, so until then, it's uh, Assalamualaikum from me and uh, from both of us here in the studio, Voice of Islam. Um, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.